Hello all and welcome to Renewed Learning's first ever podcast. Today we are joined by Becca Funnel, a first class graduate from Oxford, uh, and we talk about all manner of things human science, ranging from connections with people, connections with plants, and even hugging trees. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi everyone and welcome to the very first Renewed Learning podcast. I am delighted to be joined today by Becca Funnel, who is a recent graduate from the University of Oxford at Warden College, uh, where she studied human science and graduated with a first class degree. So Becca is now with us in Hong Kong and we are thrilled to have her here. She's been here for two months now. And today we're talking about her experience with human science, with Oxford and a bit more about education in general. So welcome Becca. Thank you, Ed. I'm excited for our first podcast episode. Yeah, I'm really excited and really looking forward to hearing a bit more about you and your background and sharing this with our listeners. So my first kind of question is, can you just give us a very brief summary of your educational journey thus far? So um, I'll start from secondary school, where I did nine GCSEs in um, English, maths, drama, all three sciences, so physics, biology, chemistry, um, Latin and French and history um, and then I went on to study um, the IB so the International Baccalaureate for those who don't know it and basically you study um, three subjects at high level which is in a bit more depth and breadth and then three at standard level which is in a bit less detail so my main subjects were um, biology maths and chemistry as I was thinking of going into medicine for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to sort of do subjects that would prepare me well for that. And what made you decide to human sciences as opposed to medicine? Mm-hmm. I did some work experience um, in a hospital on like a rehabilitation ward okay. where I was just volunteering. I did that for an hour every week. And I just kind of realized that the environment wasn't going to be for me. Um, and I also wanted to explore like, more subjects and just do something a little bit different. Um, so I really recommend doing work experience if you're thinking of going into like a professionally oriented degree. Like yeah, medicine. I think trying something out, whether it's professionally or by doing a course or listening to a podcast, whatever it is, and just trying something once you do that, I think it's a really, really good experience to do. So how did you Definitely. do that for human sciences? No. So human okay. science, I guess, was a little bit of a risk sure. um, in that I didn't know all the subjects that I was going to learn. I honestly, I wasn't really sure um, about what the three years would bring, um, but I was very curious and the curiosity led me to that degree. Um, and I knew that also applying to Oxford was going to make it less of a risk because I knew that there already was that kind of trust in the institution and I knew that it would be a good degree. Um, sure. Yeah. So in terms of curiosity, what, what like, led your curiosity and did you do any reading, did you do any research before you applied or was it completely a huge risk where you decided one day this will apply <laughs> for and just go for it? Yeah, so I think it was talking to people that really helped me um, find my curiosity in the human okay. sciences. And I, as I said, I studied very STEM-oriented subjects in sixth form, and I found that I really enjoyed exploring also like social sciences 
in um, my theory of knowledge classes, which is a part of the IB, yeah. um, but also in doing readings um, and just reading books about people. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I want to understand people a bit more. And I think reading books is so important, obviously. Mm. And I think reading books to which you're interested in is amazing. And do you have any books which kind of, was there one book which kind of catalyzed your interest or mm. took your interest to the next level? Mm-hmm. One that immediately comes to mind is a classic anthropology text, which is quite challenging, but some of the chapters in it I think are really and helpful. What's it called? It's called um, Witchcraft, Magic and Oracles Among the Azande. Um, okay. Yes, and it's by Evans Pritchard, um, sure. who's a very old anthropologist. And is it literally talking about witches? Yeah, it's talking wow. about witchcraft. Yeah, it's and very... And their relation to, uh, to the rest of the society, or can you tell me a bit more about it? Sure. Um, so I picked this book because I, I thought, oh, okay, I want to learn about witches. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, and actually my first essay at uni was also about witchcraft, um, yeah. about why we believe in witches. Or why some people believe in witches, maybe not everyone sure. does. <laughs> not me. And um, yeah, it was sort of Evans Pritchard tries to explain why some people might believe in witches, um, and that show that actually this thought process that is behind it is still like logical. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's it's problematic in some ways because he tries to sort of explain witchcraft in quite western terms sure. that maybe aren't super appropriate but it's a great read nonetheless brilliant and when was it written was it written a long time ago if it's not so appropriate now or? yes quite a long time ago like um i couldn't give you an exact date sure. but i would say it's still quite a colonial text um and is that yeah. is that a big issue amongst kind of the human science world in the sense that obviously and this not being from anyone with human science background mm. but our understanding of people and how mm. people interact with other has changed hugely from colonial mm. times to nowadays. Mm-hmm. And thinking back to colonial times ending, what, 50 to 70 years ago, how has your world of human sciences changed? Mm-hmm. I think it's changed like, a huge amount, um, especially in social sciences such as anthropology and sociology a bit, but not quite as much as anthropology, because yeah. um, anthropology was created in this context of wanting to understand exotic people um, who were like, hugely different in the eyes of like colonizers um, and to try and help colonial projects. Um, but that there was a huge shift in anthropology when voices started to emerge like, oh, hey, this is actually not okay. And we can't be um, othering people in this way and saying, okay, I understand these others. Um, but now it's more about it's shifted to sort of looking more inward, I guess, and trying to empower people to use anthropological methods to study their own communities. Sure. Um, yeah, rather than creating that distance. So it's being used for a tool of positivity, whereas before it was, could have been seen as quite a negative and introspective tool on societies. That's really interesting. Wow, I, I didn't know that. It's all about anthropology. And where do you think it's going to go in the next 10, 20 years? So it's been a shift mm. in the last 50 years, but mm. and perhaps you don't know now, but where do you think mm. it might go in the next 20 years? What would you like to see? Oh, I like to see so many things. I think it's yeah. really exciting what's currently happening in anthropology. Um, one big movement is, it's called the ontological turn okay. um, in anthropology, and it's towards seeing all people and all actually all living things as living in their own worlds. So rather than saying that we all live in the same world and we all have a different perspective, 
we're actually saying that reality is just inherently different for every okay, single living thing. Different for us compared to a dog, compared to a horse. For sure. And by living things, do you mean just animals? Do you refer to plants as well? Mm, I mean every living thing, so plants included. And there are even um, some anthropologists and some people who are writing about things that we wouldn't see as living. Um, stuff like water and the forest okay. as an entity. So forest is being one thing, I suppose the ecosystem being one kind of yes. being. Yes, yeah. Okay, so it's kind of building on perhaps the Mrs. Grand characteristics of a living, which you probably did in GCC Biology all those years ago. <laughs> oh, and thinking yeah. about it in a more kind of real and different term, thinking about it a bit more. That's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And how's your background kind of linking with that biology which you did ages ago? Mm-hmm. Was there a link with the academic biology and chemistry which you did before with Mm -hmm. your human sciences or not really definitely um so the way that my degree was taught in the first year we did a sort of foundational module in like a wide range of subjects including genetics physiology statistics demography um so human geography um anthropology sociology so many things and on ecology and many of those subjects i studied as part of biology in school and that was really helpful. Sure. Um, but what's great about the human sciences is that those things become integrated and we start to see how anthropology and biology can kind of come together with, along with so many other disciplines to help us understand people and how, yeah, how we can understand humans and our place in the world. That's really interesting. And you mentioned all the different areas. I know, having spoken to you before, that you're planning to do a master's next year, I think in Amsterdam, mm-hmm. if I'm not correct. Is that going to be again on the broadness of human sciences or do you try and focus down on one particular area? Mm. So I found this difficult because I really like to keep things broad. I think there's such value in trying to see the links between things um, rather than becoming super specialised. And so I've chosen, I applied to study medical anthropology. Um, So it's quite anthropology focused, but medical anthropology is is oriented towards. understanding health, different perspectives okay. on health and the body. So that which is inherently also interdisciplinary. When um, you bring in like biological methods and scientific knowledge as well. So I'm excited. And is that comparing kind of the cultural differences in medicine from the Eastern world medicine to Western medicine, which maybe we've seen here by living in Hong Kong? Is that that kind of thing or is that- Yes, for sure. And it's been a really exciting part of being here is having conversations with um, friends who grew up in Hong Kong about the medicines that their parents would give them and thinking also about the practices that I had when I was younger um, and the different ways we sort of understand health and healing. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's really interesting and is, is this going to be kind of research for the sake of research or is that kind of mm-hmm. a goal and perhaps this is too overarching and broad to kind of unite the different strands of medicine into one kind of mm. perfect or ideal sort of medicine? That is a really good question. Um, I, what I like about medical anthropology is that it is quite applied okay. um, and that some medical anthropologists do research in hospitals themselves and try to change the systems and, for example, how doctors interact with other staff, mm-hmm. like with um, people, what is it, people who would administer the medicine in the surgeries and as well as nurses. Sure. Yeah, and like how, how hospitals operate. Um, but on specifically what you mentioned, there is definitely a move towards trying to create integrated health systems. And recently I've been particularly interested in um, mental health, 
with indigenous peoples okay. um, where there are a lot of very specific mental health issues that indigenous people face but western and are those common amongst indigenous people in different parts of the world was kind of each indigenous people in mm-hmm. one part of the world had their own psychological issues compared mm. to other people it's a mix of both okay. so there are some common experiences um for example because of um, marginalization which a lot of indigenous peoples face mm-hmm. um and the impacts of colonialism but then there, of course, is a huge amount of diversity and um, specific experiences of different groups. Mm-hmm. But um, the sort of things I was exploring with medical anthropology in this area were how um, Western approaches are not sufficient, really, to treat um, the mental health of indigenous peoples because of different traditions. Sure, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. So I guess it's kind of trying to draw links between different peoples a little bit and that's a little bit of how you're trying to do it so i guess two questions the first Mm -hmm. question is if you could kind of summarize in one or two lines Mm -hmm. what human science means to you Mm -hmm. and to anyone listening who doesn't perhaps know what human science means yeah what it is so if someone might think actually that really resonates with me and i want to look into that and study it so Mm -hmm. how would you describe it do you think in one word, um, I would probably say connection okay. on many different levels um, of meaning. So the first is probably the interdisciplinarity, you know, connecting disciplines sure. um, to create new ways of understanding people. But then also I think the a key focus of the human sciences is how connected humans are to each other and how important that is um, in terms of our evolutionary strategy, yeah our lives but also our connection to other living beings and the general world how we're embedded in the ecosystems okay that's fascinating so yeah that's, that's i mean literally how we live our lives we, mm. our whole lives about mm. connections with people and i didn't even know about connections with the world so does that mean you but the focus primarily is probably on connections between people i guess yeah i that is the key um focus but also trying to be less anthropocentric, so less focused on just humans. Um, An area of the human sciences which I really liked was also looking at other animals, for example. um, We studied quite a bit of primatology and seeing how we compared to our closest relatives in terms of our evolutionary trajectories, um, but also how, how, yeah, as I was saying, how we're embedded in relationships with all living things and so dependent on each other. Um, and humans are obviously well they, they are very very dependent um, within our own species and that's part of what's made us so successful and the top of like global food chains um, is because we're highly social and cooperative but we can't forget how reliant we are on plants on animals um, and I think we have forgotten this which is a bit of an issue um, and you can see it reflected in many global crises yeah. But going back to one thing you said before is you think that the success of humankind and the world we live in today with mm. skyscrapers outside mm. our front door mm-hmm. and the ability to fly place to place and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So that is, comes down to the fact that humans are fundamentally social creatures. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's something that has changed or is changing from perhaps 50 years ago or 
20 years ago when our parents were growing up where there was no technology there was no social ah. media to today where people are increasingly glued to their phones and socialising in a different way that's going to have a huge impact on human sciences and human connections isn't it? definitely it's one that worries me a little bit because while we may seem like a hugely interconnected world um, there are so many divisions and there's huge problems with loneliness okay. um, as like a health issue and actually the ex-Surgeon General of the United States, Dr Vivek Murthy, um, highlighted loneliness as the key um, epidemic in the US, and I would say pandemic, really. Wow. Um, and there are such humongous impacts on health and on so many other things as well. Um, you know, feeling like you belong in a place is so important for your achievement. Um, and for there was, for example, even a study um, where freshmen were asked questions about their social networks. University freshmen? Yes, university freshmen. This was an American study. Yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, they were asked about their social networks and at the same time were be- being given influenza vaccines. And it was found that those who had a greater number of friends and just, like, were better connected had a better response in terms of their antibodies to the influenza wow. vaccine. Yes. That's really interesting. Especially in the context of the pandemic. Especially the context of coronavirus, because when mm-hmm. we all asked about it, I say seeing friends and like a collection of reduced to zooms and to texts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, do you think that could have? And I'm not saying you need to create a claim <laughs> now. That could have had an effect, kind of exacerbating the effects of coronavirus mm. in some people. Mm-hmm. I don't know in terms of the antibody response, um, but there are definitely things to be said about the health impacts of um, social isolation and pandemic. Mm-hmm. And this is was found in so many statistics already. For example, with um, just there's a survey that asks people about their students, for example, about their experiences of loneliness, um, and they're already finding showing that more people were feeling lonely, and because that's been loneliness has been linked to so many aspects of health. Yeah. Um, that is definitely something to think about in the context of future health crises. That makes sense. Also, going back to the loneliness thing, mm. you mentioned freshmen, you mentioned universities at mm. various times. Mm-hmm. What I would ask you is, you obviously were a huge success at university, you came top in your year in human sciences at Oxford, you. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, you had success in lots of different ways. Um, but how did you find your experience with socialisation, mm. connections, and potentially loneliness? Mm-hmm. Was that something you ever encountered at university, or do you have active ways that you learned through your degree to kind of keep you happy and keep you mm. successful? I'm so glad you asked this question. I think for me, it's been a huge theme of okay. my time at university and my life recently. In the last four years, I'd say, um, where when I first came to university, it was a lonely time and it's lonely for many people um, because you're taken out of your context and there's, you're surrounded by new people in a new place. And especially, I think, I, I talked to a lot of people at Oxford who felt um, a very profound sense of not belonging because of the prestige and the reputation. Yeah. So you know, people talk about imposter syndrome. Big thing, isn't it? Yeah, so that definitely doesn't help. Um, and then the pandemic hit at the end of first year <laughs> and also didn't help. Um, but then through second and third year, I really started to build a social network and start talking about my experience of loneliness with people and how I came to find belonging both and I was talking about this both in private conversations with my friends but also I started to do more like I guess more public talking about it through like articles 
Um, and even through my academic work, um, where I decided to do a project about belonging at university. Okay, wow. Yeah, and about conversation and about what conversations can support us and help us feel like we belong. Is that kind of like which conversations do, or is it how conversations support you, or what kind of conversations support you? What, mm-hmm. what was it? So I started by just thinking about conversation and student belonging, and you have to focus in a lot when you're doing a, a research project. Um, so I came to the question of how does encouraging self-disclosure, um, which is talking about personal states, feelings, experiences, um, so how does self-disclosure um, increase sense of belonging? among university students. Um, Yeah, and I created an intervention to try and encourage that kind of talk and saw how it affected then belonging in the short and long run. Um, And it was an awesome experience. Yeah, I think that's amazing. I think it's really, really important. And Mm. even my first experience, I know, especially Mm. amongst boys, people Mm. firstly have never speak about anything, but by the end, lots of my friends would speak about things with one another, which is, I think, really positive. And it gives not just more connection, but also like a deeper connection and deeper, like, knowledge of friendship and stuff. Mm. so it's really really important mm-hmm. that's so cool definitely and so does that mean your degree you kind of felt like you were researching things which actually had a material impact on your life yes it's something that I loved about the human sciences is that I found it super introspective and I'd read um, an article for an essay but I'd also be thinking oh how does this change the way I live yeah. my life um, and I found it especially really really fun to talk to my friends about what I was reading because I would say I remember this today and it made me think about this and they'd say wow that sounds amazing that's really cool yeah that's so cool yeah I think that's the thing I personally love about Oxford is Mm. sitting down in a coffee shop wherever you are just speak to your friends who study different things from Mm. chemistry to human sciences Mm. to history to French and just speaking about what everyone's studying because everyone can break it down to such small things which are understandable and you get a little insight into the worlds of which people are working in. Definitely. Uh, yeah, mm. so interesting. And I'm sure you found this as well, because we both did quite interdisciplinary degrees. Yeah, I did PP, mm-hmm. which is politics, philosophy and economics. And so that gives us both that sort of ability to understand quite a few different areas. Yeah. And so those conversations with peers, we could engage with them. Um, yeah, and yeah. I A little snapshot into other people's worlds. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but going back to your degree and kind of your experience in university, is there anything which kind of made... So your, your degree is kind of introspective, you say. Mm. Is there anything which, which you learned about which changed the way you live your life in a surprising way? What was the like, most surprising thing you learned? Mm. I think one that I talk about a lot is the idea of plant personhood. Um, yeah. And it, a lot of people give me slightly... Funny looks. Yes, <laughs> funny looks when I first say that. Sure. Um, but basically it's an idea that we can see plants ha- as like people having their own experiences trying to challenge the like western assumption that plants are passive um we even use like the word vegetable to mean something that is passive yeah. um being in a vegetal state you know is kind of when um someone's not responding to the world around them but in reality um plants are doing so many things that are incredibly active but just in a different way um and that change in perspective is incredibly powerful and very important for lots of work in the world. Um, I think it can be a call to action in terms of climate change activism, saying, you know, what right do we have to impose our ways of being on plants? Um, Sure. Yeah, and challenging that superiority. That's really cool. And 
I've read a little bit about this, but a tiny, tiny, tiny amount. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the plants are living things, which we know they are from mm-hmm. kind of biology, but is it the sense that they can be somewhat social as well? There are connections between plants, or at least that's what I believe. Mm-hmm. And can you just illuminate me a little bit, because I'm really in the dark. Yes. I mean, this the work on plant communication is very, very recent and okay. very exciting. And my knowledge in it is limited, um, but I'm very curious myself. And I, there's stuff coming out all the time on it. Um, so I really recommend anyone looking into this if you're at all interested in Yeah, I think it's plants. right at the forefront of kind of the next phase of science and human science. And, Definitely. And I've, I've read things about there being evil plants who kind of sap, <laughs> yes. sap things away yes. from the plants. And we see this, I, I mean, there's Japanese knotweed, which in gardens kills things. Mm. And that's a kind of ecosystem of mm. like connection. But mm-hmm. I think there's, from what I understand, there's a, mm. a deeper connection where they can mm. react to other plants in a much bigger way. So Yes. So some of the research that's come out recently um, is by this one woman who... Um, What's her name? Do you know? Suzanne is her first name. I don't remember her last okay. name. We'll put it in a link yes. in the bio. Yes. <laughs> um, but I recently read her book called Finding the Mother Tree um, okay. that was recommended to me by a friend. And it's the story of her life intertwined with her research. Um, and she talks about how she is on this sort of journey, finding how plants, and specifically trees, um, connect with each other and communicate, um, and finds that mushrooms are incredibly important to those relations. Um, And they help to pass nutrients between trees, as well as other messages. So in this way, forests talk um, through these mushroom networks that mirror synapses in the brain. That is really cool. It's incredibly exciting. And I know there's a mushroom exhibition, or an exhibition about mushrooms at the Museum of Space here, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So perhaps you'll have to take me and tell me more about it. I'm definitely, definitely. Mushrooms. Yes. And so we speak about connections between plants. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a connection between plants and animals, particularly humans and plants? Mm, definitely. Um, I think that our connection to plants has been severed a little bit by industrialism in that like right now we're sitting in a skyscraper in Hong Kong in yeah. one of the most concrete places on earth. The most skyscrapers in any city in the world. For sure. And I personally am feeling a huge disconnect to plants, um, which are very few and far between and don't seem particularly healthy, um, which is partly because they're cut off from these networks sure. in which plants usually live. Yeah. Um, just like if you separate a person and put them in social isolation, they suffer. Same with plants. Um, there's a reason, yeah, why that is uh, such a severe form of sure. punishment. But um, back to trees and plants. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm seeing signs people are starting to realise that connections with plants are more important. And do you do anything to connect with plants? Like, For sure. What do you do to connect with plants? Anything. Tell me yes. the silliest thing you do to connect with plants. Oh, so many things. I love going on hikes in Hong Kong and walks sure. at home and just becoming more tactile with plants. Okay. And so if I walk past a tree, I'll be sort of feeding the leaves and feeding the bark, giving a tree a hug every now and then, climbing trees. um, And this all, I think it it makes me feel like I can be a bit closer to plants and come to understand them a bit more. So you think that physical connection between you and plants kind Mm. of will give you perhaps a deeper connection, not just physical? For sure. And would you recommend our listeners perhaps go away and try to be more tactile with plants and hug trees? 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, if I can recommend anything, that'd be top of my list to any person. Yes. Yeah. How does Huggy make you feel? I've never tried that before. Humbled. Humbled? Humbled is by nature. Big. Yes, and by the kind of insignificance of my problems, yeah. just being next to uh, a being that's so sturdy. And do you go for the big oak tree or do you go for a small mm. tree you wrap your arms around? What your advice about just cause of hugging tree? I think it varies. It varies. <laughs> Whatever tree is there, <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm okay. cool to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Not picking about a tree, any no. tree will do. Okay. That's lucky. <laughs> yeah, but I, I do think that we see knowledge as too much something that you get from sitting at a desk and revising from a book and sure. being really in your mind. But knowledge can also be embodied and we can learn through interacting with the environment in a more tactile way. Um, and I, in fact, I think it's really important both for your like, your knowledge or learning, but also for your health and health well-being. Person, yeah, 100%. It's mm-hmm. like being connected, feel sensitive a bit more and you feel like you're not just doing your work, doing something you feel like you're part of a bigger thing. Mm, it's definitely. Really mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, this changed my perception on plants, definitely. Mm-hmm. You see me hugging trees every day. <laughs> um, Can't wait. <laughs> exactly. You've got me. I'm going to work. <laughs> That's great. And what one thing do you wish that humans knew about human science which mm. you think would change people's lives or change the world in general? What's the one thing you wish everyone knew? Mm. I think because we've been speaking about loneliness and connection, I would like to tell everyone that it's incredibly normal and expected to be lonely sometimes. And actually it's a really important evolutionary adaptation. Um, Just like hunger tells you when you need to eat, um, loneliness tells you when you need to seek out connection. Um, And we all feel it sometimes. Um, And it's okay to talk about I think that we should all start seeing loneliness as this very mundane human experience that's necessary um, and that we should act on and learn how to respond to so that we can, you know, do things that make us feel good and look after our well-being better. That's an amazing answer. So before we go, I've got some quick fire questions for you. Mm-hmm. Okay? So just add whatever's on top of your tongue. It doesn't have to be anything particularly deep or meaningful, just whatever, whatever sure. you have there. Okay. So... Some of them are general, some of them are more specific about human sciences. Mm-hmm. So the first one, what's your best academic experience? I think the research project is my favourite so far. Um, I learned so much from it. It was incredibly challenging. And um, yeah, I just think if you get the opportunity to do that at university or any time in your life, you could learn a lot very fast. And conversely, probably harder. What's the worst academic moment you've ever had? I think a moment. Yeah, all experience. Mm. There's a time which you have you hit a brick wall and had to get through the brick wall or mm. anything like that. I think maybe my maths exam in IB, okay. um, where I came out of my optional paper, um, my optional paper, and I just cried. I yeah. thought I thought the exam went terribly. Um, How did it go in reality? It went really well. What did you get? I got a seven in my IB maths. Which is the top mark I was so scared. Yeah. I mean, I guess that gives perspective because you can never really know how something went and often you'll go into an exam and come out and only remember what you got wrong um, or what didn't go well. So, yeah, that, that was a, a tough moment, I think, <laughs> for I me then. <laughs> it, shows that, it shows, I think, that it's never as bad as you think and that if you've done the work beforehand you've mm. made sure you're getting things done you're arrested mm. you know for stuff that if you've 
don't feel like 100% perfect, mm. you've got the skills in you to really nail it. Yeah. And you also perhaps to show people's ability to focus on the bad things rather yes. than the positive things. Yes. Big yeah. human bias, that Big one. Big human bias, 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, going into some more Oxford-specific questions. Mm-hmm. So, I knew you went to Wadham. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you choose Wadham over the other colleges? Mm. Wadham is an amazing place. Um, it's super, super inclusive environment. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a very welcoming place to be. And um, I visited it on, a, a Wadham on an open day. And I just thought that it felt great to be there. Um, and I liked the location. Also, I guess because the human sciences is a very small course, so it's only offered at a few places. Um, and yeah, I, I didn't think too much about where I was going because I didn't want to get too invested. Of course. Um, but yeah, those are my broad reasons for choosing Wadham. And another Oxford question. This is a hard one. So mm. if you had to describe Oxford or your Oxford experience in three words, what would those mm. words be? Challenging. Challenging, first. Yeah. Um, Exciting. Probably another, yeah. and inspiring. Inspiring. Because yeah, so many people with so many interesting things yeah, to it's, say. Yeah, it's the people I think which I love the most. Just speak to anyone and such a varied range of backgrounds, things I want to do in the life going forwards, and what they're studying now is, is really really mm-hmm. interesting, fascinating. Mm-hmm. And okay, two more questions. Mm-hmm. First one is. So obviously you're now based in Hong Kong, teaching with renewed learning, which is amazing, mm-hmm. and you want to go to your. Uh, master's next year in Amsterdam mm-hmm. where do you see yourself in 10 years time what would be your goal Ooh. 10 years time well that's a hard question, hard question. I Perhaps you even know yourself yes I don't think too much in the long term okay. I th- prefer to kind of make decisions in a bit more of a slightly more short term way because things change all the time and you can never predict what's going to happen but some things I'd like to do include more research definitely um, and also doing some more things about like public engagement. I love talking about things like this and trying to get stories out, not just my own, but anyone's story. Yeah. Um, and I think things like learning a new language and the guitar, those are also aims, yeah. but they're all very broad. <laughs> Have you guitar since you've been out here? No, I yeah. haven't, but I'd like to get on. I need to find someone to teach me, I think. <laughs> that makes sense, mm-hmm. makes sense. And last question, a bit of a silly one. Mm-hmm. What do you prefer, Western food or food in Hong Kong? Oh, food in Hong Kong. Food in Hong Kong. Definitely. Recommend Hong Kong? Yes. You want people to come yes. to Hong Kong? Experience Definitely. Yeah. Honestly, Hong Kong has been, it's been incredible to be here and so many things to love, so much so many interesting things, especially as a human scientist. Yeah, I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. It's a very interesting place to be. Well, thank you so much, Becca. It's genuinely been fascinating. I'm not even sure how long we've been speaking for, but <laughs> it's been, yeah, a real journey. I've learned so much, and hopefully our listeners learn a lot too. Great. So thank you for being our first guest. Thank you and for having me, Ed. Yeah, thank you so much.